Well, in the very middle of the Christian story is the story of the event of the resurrection. Of all the things that make up our faith, that's the thing around which all of these strange and weird church things rotate. Everything that we do is it funnels back to this central story about the event of the resurrection. The songs that we sing, uh, the prayers that we pray, the teachings and the sermons that we write and give, all of it. The language of the church, the art of the church, the movements of the church, and the life of the church are all about resurrection. At least, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Why else are we here? Even in something like baptism, and this is a picture of last week's baptism, Easter Sunday. Patrick, where are you? Yep, all right. Don't forget your shoes, they're in the fellowship hall. But even in baptism, we recognize the, the very image of dying and rising again. To be lowered into the water where there's no sound, there's no air, and then to be raised into a newness of life, as we tend to say. I mean, baptism itself is the image of being resurrected, being raised from death. Even the book of Acts or Acts of the Apostles that we have in our Bibles. This is the um, earliest Christian history of the Jesus movement, just the first few decades following the resurrection. And the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, is the retelling of the Jesus movement, again, after this event of the resurrection. And the thing about the book of Acts is, and this is the secret, it's just filled with speeches and sermons and teachings, people saying things. And here's the thing. Um, None of those speeches, sermons, all of those, none of those things, not one of them, not one has that turn or burn vibe that we're so accustomed to, especially around Dragon Con outside the subway. (laughs) But none of them carry that tone whatsoever, right? There's no like, hey, real quick, uh, eternity, smoking or non, right? It's my favorite one. (laughs) It's not in there. There's not even a the end is near motif. If anything, the book of Acts is the beginning is near. The newness is near. But all of those speeches and all of those sermons or about the resurrection. They're all about how history is tilting towards life everlasting, amen? They're all focused on the miracle of a rising, not a fall, and how that is entirely good news or gospel, as we say. Resurrection is the whole Christian conversation, full stop. And the Easter question, as we're still in the Easter season, there's 50 days in this baby. The Easter question for the church, for you and for me, is this. What does it mean to be a resurrection people? What does it mean to be a resurrection people? I think it's a good question. And it's the right question to ask during the Easter season. What does it mean to be a people of the resurrection. 
But it's also a very difficult question. It's a hard question. As we all share a world that experiences ongoing brokenness and death, endless wars are happening all the time. Uh, Unique to our country, shootings in schools. Uh, The mental health crisis doesn't seem to be getting better. The data is very clear on this. Racism, still, still, can you believe that? All these years we've been on this planet and we're still judging and holding prejudices because of the beauty of someone's race, still. And the growing divides between people, these are all very obvious things. And the question The hard question is, what does it mean to be a resurrection people in such a world as this? Well, our epistle reading, that was hard fought, by the way. She had to move from here to here, but we got it. Our epistle reading for this morning has something to say about this. It has something to say to this and to you and me as well. And I want to draw our attention to just one of uh, the statements in the passage today. It's the very first one that was read. In 1 Peter chapter 3, or chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes, by his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, the letter of 1 Peter, without getting into too much detail, Uh, is very interested in what it means to be a resurrection people. The whole thing is about this. What does it mean to be a people of the resurrection in the world? In the world that Peter's uh, original readers were living in uh, was tough. It was tough for them. In the very first verse of the letter, he addresses the readers as exiles. It's tough for them. They're dislocated And what we find in these opening words is truly the underpinning message of the entire letter. And it's this call to be a living hope in the world. A living hope. Not a hopeful meme. Not a static quote about hope. Though those are good. But a living, breathing, animated, hopeful people. Are you with me on that? It's one thing to say hopeful things, but what Peter is interested in and what Jesus is interested in is that we are a living hope, a hopeful people. And the first thing to notice in what Peter says here is that hope is initially wrapped up in the resurrection. It's wrapped up in this event of Christ's rising. You see, Easter, if it does anything... At the bare minimum, it commercials our future. So hope in this sense is something separated from the tangibles of our everyday lives and experiences. Not in the sense that our daily lives are unimportant. That's not true. In fact, the opposite is quite true. We'll see throughout this letter that this is far from the truth. But simply it is a reminder that the sum of our existence, of your existence, of my existence does not rest entirely on the things that we can hold and hear and touch and possess. 
I grew up in the 80s, the golden age, and (laughs) there was a phrase going around then, and it ended up on stickers, it ended up on back of cars, and it simply went like this, he who dies with the most toys wins, (laughs) right? What do they win? What do they win? I don't know. The materialism of the 80s is legendary, but what you may not know is that the sociological reason for this is simply that there was such a nihilistic view of the world at that time that we were under constant threat of everything being blown to bits. I remember, for some reason, this was standard practice, getting under our desk in the classroom in case the nuclear bombs came. Now, I'd seen the movies, the little desk with Pink Floyd carved into it by a knife was not going to save me (laughs) from whatever that is that's landing in our building, right? The nihilistic view that that defined the 80s was based in a tragic feeling and sense that it doesn't matter. We're all dying. So live it up while you can. He who dies the most toys wins. It's really satire. We all lose. In C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, this lengthy passage, hang with me, in a section on hope, he writes these words. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, he says, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. You see, in Christian thought, and practice, victory is not a collection of accomplishments that we can hold in our hands. Victory is the hope of life everlasting, the future hope of life beyond this life. That is the win. He who dies with that hope truly wins. It's why we come into this building every Sunday, whether you know it or not to be reminded that history is going somewhere that isn't trapped by these earthbound limitations. Hope is tied to the resurrection. Amen? Now, the second and last thing to notice in what Peter says is this, that the hope Peter is referring to is a living hope. It's alive. It has agency. It's moving and it's animating a people. You see, resurrection doesn't just shape our future. It reshapes our present, our here and now. At least it's supposed to. 
And this is about being a hopeful people, a living hope, a people that is animated by hope. Now, the inverse of this (laughs) would be a grumpy people, a defeated and angsty people. I mean, you can just think about your friendship circle, your family, your work environment. It's pretty easy to identify the person in each of those realms that's the grumpiest, right? The one that is most likely to bring everything down. Now, I will say, if you're having a hard time naming that person, (laughs) it's probably you. I've been a pastor my entire adult life. It's all I've ever done. And I can tell you that the church is just filled with people who are never happy. They're always bothered. They're always walking around in anger. They're always looking for the next opportunity to take the conversation down, to add a negative comment. People whose giftedness lies in the art of contagious misery. They are missionaries of angst. Some of you are those people, but I will not name your names. (laughs) This church I worked at before I came here, gosh, 16 years ago, uh, the church was growing quite fast and we had to like rearrange traffic flow in and out of the sanctuary. And we had this greeter person that handed out bulletins. Some of you guys do that. Thank you very much. Um, But this guy, man, just, he's just one of these guys, a missionary of angst. And the instruction to the greeter team was, hey, we need people to go into this door and no longer this door. This will be an exit. This will be an entrance. Well, he didn't like it one bit. I don't know why, but he just didn't like it because he wakes up every day and goes, I don't like things, and I'm going to find those things and tell people, okay? And I was standing in the lobby, me and this other staff guy, and we just kept laughing because he was literally standing there with the bulletins, and everybody that came up, he goes, they want you to go in that way. They want you to go in that way. Like, see what he did? He He dislocated himself, and we became a they. You see, they. I just had to get that out. (laughs) Right? Now, I can joke about these things uh, because, truth be told, I'm, I'm the same way. It is a whole lot easier for me to be a living, grumpy person than it is to be a living hope. I think it's just hard to be hopeful. And I think... uh, Maybe like you, but I assume that the same is true of most people. This difficulty of being a living, breathing, hopeful person in the world. And in a world, it doesn't always support that posture. You know why? I mean, there are many reasons, but hopelessness is pretty lucrative. There's a reason they call it doom scrolling. There's a reason we get trapped in the feeds that we consume on our devices. I mean, if you had the choice to get lost in a, a bunch of reels of comedians 
or dash cam crash camera or road rage film, you're going to gravitate towards the negative. Because there's something about the community of angst. Hopelessness sells. It sells. We talk about like, why don't we just do good news? Doesn't sell. Makes you smile, you repost it, but most of it is tough. It's easy to fall into a state of hopelessness about the world. There are Christian, I did an experiment. Any Christian YouTube video that came up, I played it. And the algorithm got wild. <laughs> but I did it for about 30 days. I, my, my YouTube account is still recovering. We're, we're still in rehab. Uh, it's like, it's weird now. It's like angry Christian talks about this and then Grateful Dead videos. Like it's still, it's still trying to tilt back towards normalcy. But there are entire YouTube channels that are run by Christians that are just angry, right? There are churches and pastors who are just so pissed at everybody that all hope is gone. It's easy to fall into that. But Peter says, I need you to be a living hope. A resurrection people is a hopeful people. The default setting in Christian thought and, in, and Christian practice is renewal. That newness is possible. And as your pastor, I don't know what it is that leads you into a state of hopelessness. But maybe take a break from the things that do. If you find yourself going here or there and it creates in you a sense of angst, and it creates in you a sense of hopelessness about the world, maybe take a break from that. You don't have to do it. You can choose to walk out of your home and say, it's gonna be okay. And these people are not my enemy, amen? I often find that what I see on the news and what I see in the courtyard of the building I live in are very different worlds. You can get locked into a news thing and you're like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. And then you go outside and your neighbor's like, what's up, man? Oh, ah, maybe take a break from that, whatever it is. This is why the church has historically involved itself in homelessness, in building houses, in prison ministry, in medical missions, in providing clean water, in movements of reconciliation. Why? Because they're hopeful. They're hopeful. Hope is the expectation that new and better things can happen. And in the ecosystem of Christ, no one is too far gone. Amen? There are no takedowns in the kingdom of God. Zero. There are no burials, only risings. I'm preaching now. No burials. We don't uh, de-exist people. I just made that up. <laughs> no one is too far gone. 
And this call to be a living hope is a hard one, but it is a call upon the church. These letters in the Bible, most of the New Testament is male. I don't know how we ended up with it, but we got it. And they are written to church communities, by and large. Some are written to people, but most of them are written to church communities. And the leader of the congregation would read it to the congregation, and then they would discuss. And these are written to communities, not individuals. And this matters because we all know that hope is not easy in isolation, right? It's not an easy thing to summon on our own. But it is something that is better reserved for the group, for the people around us. Misery does very well in community, but so does hope. Hope breathes in community. It's one of the reasons it's so important for us to stay together and to announce hope and proclaim hope over all of us. And that the church is called to be a living, breathing, animated hope in a world that doesn't always support that posture. The last word today goes to the great late Eugene Peterson in speaking about this hopeful presence that the church is to be a colony of heaven and the country of death. A colony of heaven and the country of death. That's our challenge. That's our invitation. We are an Easter people, not a Lent people. We shake Lent off. We're now in Easter. And we are a colony of heaven in a world that is prone to death.